We are thankful for new years. We are thankful for new beginnings. We are thankful for new mornings. And we are most thankful that your mercies are new every morning. No matter how much we are feeling doubt or less faithful, you are always faithful. And so, holy God, we hold you to that promise today that we might hear from you and it might bring us courage. In Christ's name, amen. So a song makes it to a greatest hit, not because someone voted for it or because the band or the artist thought, well, this is surely the greatest hit that I've ever done. It's because of the number of plays, the number of albums sold. It's, it's really just about the popularity. Do you know what are the greatest songs, the greatest hits of all hits of all time? Let me show you. This is a list. This is a top five list. So you've got at the very, number five, Respect, Aretha Franklin, What's Going On, Imagine I Can't Get No Satisfaction, Like a Rolling Stone. And as I looked at this list, and really at the whole top 100 list, there's a few that like, like Sir Mix-a-Lot Baby got back, maybe not so sure, but most of them, most of them, y'all, are representing a longing that people have, a longing for respect, a longing for understand what is going on here, a longing for a, a, a world that is just better than the world that we have here, a longing for more satisfaction. And, and Dylan's song, Like a Rolling Stone, very tragic ballad, is, is a longing for just life to have gone a different way. I wish that there was a way that we could stop right now and Emily and Paul could get up there and they could play us a greatest hit that would make all of our longings go away. I wish that we could like pour it into a cup and when you leave, we could all drink it and be full and done. To the best of my knowledge, the only thing that satisfies the longings, those deep longings, is a relationship with God. And yet, a relationship with God is something that still leaves us wanting more, but it is something that when we are filled with it, we are not wanting anything else but it. This is what we're going to do, y'all. We are going to embark together on meeting these longings in the two best ways that we believe here at Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church that this is done. And first and foremost is that a relationship with God is lived out in community. It is done with other people. It is not done in isolation. There is no personal religion. It is us together. And the second thing that we believe here is that if you are wanting a deeper understanding and at some, some place to meet that longing, it is at the intersection of your life and Scripture. And so as a community of faith, we are going to be reading through the Gospel of Luke together from now through the end of Easter. And as you leave, if you haven't already, please pick up one of our bookmarks. There is a daily reading assignment. And if you would like to receive a really excellent commentary from Pastor Stacy about each of those readings, you can sign up for that email on the front page of our website. 
So what we're going to do today is we're going to just kind of model that for one another. Because when you're diving into the scripture, I want you to ask it lots of questions. You're going to see all throughout the Gospel of Luke, a theme is that Jesus asks a lot of questions. He asks a lot of questions of the people around him, and I feel like it is beckoning to us to ask those questions of the scripture as well. I want us to read the scripture, ask questions of it, let it intersect with our life, and I cannot wait to hear the stories of how it impacts your life and faith. Here is our reading today. This comes from Luke chapter 3. We've done one and two in Advent and the week after. Here now, the reading of our Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. When we first hear this intro to John, doesn't it sound a little bit like the intro to Jesus' birth that we heard on Christmas Eve? In the fifth year of the reign, well, this is a different emperor. This is about 30 years later, different emperor, new governor. Other than sounding, the names in there is difficult to pronounce and sounding like some certain disease, when the early readers would have heard names like Tiberius, this is first, second, third century, when they would have heard Tiberius and Caiaphas, they would have realized this was not just another average ruler's time. This was a dark time. These were bad people. This was a time under Roman rule of destruction, of ruthless violence and cruel death. Emperor Tiberius that's mentioned here, he has entire volumes written about him and his work. They detail his relentless pursuit to kill anyone who sniffed of being a traitor. And this included anybody who worshiped something other than the emperor himself. During his reign, he exiled the Jews out of Jerusalem into the region around the Jordan. Maybe that's why John was wandering out there. And it is in during this dark and scary time that a man named John is now coming into the wilderness and he is preaching a baptism of repentance. Now, when all of the people that would have heard this sermon that he kept giving over and over, they would have known about baptism. Baptism was very familiar to them. As Jews, baptism was part of the rhythm of their week and month. If, if a woman had had her menstrual cycle, or, or after sexual activity, or after you touch something that was dead or rotting, you needed to undergo ritual baptism so that your exterior was clean. You needed to make sure that the outside of you had been cleansed so that you were then appropriate and able to come before God. But that's not what John is talking about here. John says the baptism of repentance. And the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It's the journey of changing one's mind, heart, self, or way of life. 
metanoia, repentance. This is way deeper than cleaning something on the outside of your skin. This is about something that's going on inside of you. This is about change, as we just sang, from the inside out. So what is John proclaiming for people to change? What are we supposed to change? Let's continue our reading. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. John warns these crowds that just because Abraham is your ancestor, just because you're in that line, just because you claim that faith, it doesn't mean you get a hall pass on how you live, how you talk, how you speak. As people of God, they need to act like people of God. John tells them, bear fruits worthy of repentance. You see, the way that they lived their life and the way that we live our lives, it really does matter to those around us. It matters that it shares with the world, even with our own families, who we are and whose we are. Our country is continuing to become more and more secular, and our community in Austin is continuing to become more and more anti-church. The greatest demographic in Austin are those that identify as none. No religion. What if we chose to stop pointing the finger at all the things that caused this to happen and instead acknowledge the role that Christians have? I'm not talking about just the, the big Christian mistakes that were made in the past thousand years, but today that are hurting others' views of what it looks like and means to be a Jesus follower. We identify as Christians. I identify as a Christian. Anybody that knows me knows that, but then the way that I talk, the way that I live, It sometimes looks like I am following something else that my longing is elsewhere. What if each of us does the challenging and yet liberating work of letting God change us into the godly men and women that God desires for each of us to be? As people of God, the way that we act and speak should bear fruit worthy of of repentance. Repentance, friends, it means change. How many of you are fans of change? I mean, I like spontaneous change. Someone printed me out the cutest little Georgia Bulldog, set it next to my stuff up there. I mean, I like the change in a a new national title winner. Amen? 
tomorrow night. I like the change when I've got, I don't, all of a sudden, Charlie says, hey, you don't have to cook dinner. We're going to go out to dinner. I like changes like that, but big changes, changes where I have to react differently in an anxious situation with my children, or changes in my behavior when someone says something that I so wholeheartedly disagree with, that type of change, it feels unnatural. It feels like outer body. It feels incapable. I feel incapable to do it. I love to dig into the science of why our bodies react a certain way, and so I decided I would go into, look into why our brains are so resistant to change. You know, you know, you go in looking for what you want. But I did go in, I will admit, I did go in with an open mind because I, there are some times that I am not right. And so I went to try to find out why our brains are wired to stay the same. And boy, was I wrong. God created humans with these brains that are so malleable. Neurologists call it neuroplasticity. This is the definition. The capacity for our brain cells to change in response to our behavior. God literally created our brains capable of change. God created our minds for metanoia. So what needs to change? The crowds wondered the same thing. Let's keep going with our scripture. The crowds asked Jesus, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. This is the word of the Lord. The crowd asks John, as you might be asking yourself, what then should we do to show people that we are changed? What does it look like to bear fruit worthy of repentance. All of those things that John mentions, I have to imagine that it was things he was seeing going on regularly around him, and it didn't fit. He saw that some people had too much food and some people had too little. He saw that some people had more than one coat and some people had none. There were certain people who had jobs that gave them a level of power where they could steal from others, and there were leaders who could use their position for financial gain. If you were to create a list of the things that Christians should do differently, the ones around you, to show that they are truly changed people, that they're on this journey of changing one's might, heart, one's mind, heart, and self, what would you put on that list? 
What would be important to you? I imagine it would be the things that you see happen all around you every day that seem so wrong. Those things that just seem rude. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Those things that you're like, it could have been handled in just, just a more loving way. But I want us to go deeper than pointing the finger. If you were to create a list of things that you individually should do that would demonstrate to God that you want to be on a journey of change, you want to bear fruits worthy of repentance, something that you want to stop doing or start doing, what would be on that list? One of the most frequent things that I talk to people about in my office, on the phone, in conversations in the community has to do with someone in their life that they wish would change. A spouse, a child, a boss, the Congress, wanting change. At the end of those conversations, every single time, we end up in the exact same place, no matter the situation, no matter the age, no matter the stage. And that person that comes around and realizes the only thing I can change is me. Repentance, metanoia, what if it was a gift from God? The ability to change. God has given us the ability to change us from the inside out. Have you been feeling unsatisfied with how life is going and feeling? Have you been finding more days where you're disappointed than you're encouraged? Have you been confused or even angry with God's role or lack thereof in the world? What if those questions mean that God is likely trying to change us. To change us more into the godly men and women that we were meant to be. Let's let God change us. Consider what needs to be changed today. May it be so in my life and in yours. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, change is is scary, it feels unsteady, we feel out of control. Oh God, but you are calling us to change, to be more like you have created us to be. Help us to bear fruits worthy of that. Whatever it is, each of us individually, may we reflect and receive your courage receive your energy, and receive your blessing. In Christ's name, amen.